Good day, Crime Talk aficionados. It is January 3rd, 2024, and we have some interesting stories for you today. First, there's always that one person that ruins it for everyone. And that's why the list of associates of that guy named Jeff is being delayed. Brian Koberger's attorneys asked the judge to reconsider his previous orders. You all want Gypsy Rose news? Well, wait until you hear this story. It may change your mind. We will discuss the Savannah Soto investigation. Can uh, crimes be committed in the metaverse? And the judge in the Delphi case gets some more responsibility. And why is it always the husband? And why do they always run away to Vegas? And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Was this woman just trying to put in an honest day's work? Well, let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Leave me a comment below. And remember to hit that little bell so that you receive notifications of when we put up new content or when we go live. Now, you may say, Scott, I already subscribed. Well, we want you to double check because when you go off into YouTube jail, I think they unclick all those notification buttons. Had a lot of people let us know that they thought they were subscribed and they weren't. So I'm just warning you. All right. Okay. Let's go ahead and uh, get to the docket. And um, so let's open the record. And uh, first, there's always that one person that ruins it for everyone. You know who they are. Heck, I hope it's certainly not you, but there's always that one person, right, on the tour that shows up late, that always has to go to the restroom, that just ruins it. Well, that's simply the case as it relates to the guy named Jeff client list, his associates list. Because remember, that release of that guy named Jeff was supposed to take place yesterday, and then it was today. Well, and all those high-profile friends has been known, thrown into a chaos because that one woman in this particular case came, claims that she is going to be in danger in her culturally conservative country. Now, the entire list of the 187 names was due to become public this week, but a filing by the attorney for this woman named only as Jane Doe 107 appears to have stalled it and caused a little confusion. Well, does that posit for just 107 or does it posit for everyone? As you may recall, back on December 21st, Judge Loretta Preska granted the woman a 30-day appeal, delaying the release of her name until January 22nd. She has until then to prove that she will be in danger if she is in fact unmasked. Now, it remains unclear if the same delay now applies to the entire list. Well, the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York yesterday advised that the list was imminent, has yet to provide an answer, and the woman's attorney is also in the dark as to whether everyone else will now enjoy the same extension. So the attorney for John or Jane Doe 107 was just made aware of the order of Doe 107's fears for her life, and she lives in a very conservative country. The court then granted Doe's 107's request for a 30-day extension, and the attorney for Doe 107 must provide an affidavit supporting her claims of physical risk and harm, 
and must also provide the details concerning the hate mail that she has allegedly already received. Now, as you may recall, the list contains the names of at least 187 people who were mentioned in a 2015 lawsuit by Virginia Jeffrey against Ghislaine Maxwell. The lawsuit was ultimately settled in 2017, two years before that guy named Jeff was arrested, but the names of those involved have remained protected for years. And apparently they will be for at least a few more weeks. Hopefully we're wrong and we get to see this sooner rather than later. But remember, ladies and gentlemen, the system protects the system. And these people who are going to have their names come out, they are the system. Hence the reason why it has been held in secret for so long. Next, the Brian Koberger case. The attorneys for Brian Koberger have asked the judge to reconsider his denial of their efforts to have the indictment against him dismissed, as the prosecutors obviously want to speed up this case and get a trial date set. So in a court filing uh, late last week, Koberger's teams asked for a hearing behind closed doors, because is there any other kind in Idaho? I don't think so to argue against the grand jury proceedings um, in secret. Their reasoning was also under seal because everything in Idaho is apparently so secretive. Scary. You know, because I filed motions attacking grand juries over the years, and not once did we unseal it. We just simply said, this is what the irregularity was in there. You're not going to reference any specific grand juror by name. You're going to reference them by number, which would be secret anyway. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, it's the system protecting the system. Well, needless to say, Judge John Judge scheduled a closed-door hearing on the defense motion for January 26, and then said that there'll be a public hearing on the prosecutor's request to schedule a trial date later that same day. Now, as you may recall, the judge previously denied the two defense motions to dismiss filed by Koberger's attorneys, stating that they were historically interesting and um, creative, but their arguments were groundless as it relates to the law. So the judge's uh, order is in regards to the motion to reconsider, the orders denying the motion to dismiss the indictment, and also in the alternative for permission to appeal from interlocutory orders and stay of proceedings will be held on January 26th. So what does that mean? It means the defense wants to get permission to appeal to the appellate courts so that they can have the appellate courts rule on this issue before the case goes to trial. Now, remember, normally the defense has to file motions, lose, go to trial, lose, and then you get to appeal. Under very rare circumstances, does the defense get to do an interlocutory appeal? I've seen statistics on this when the defense asked for a hearing. Here, we call it a Rule 21 hearing to the Supreme Court. And thousands of cases go up to our state Supreme Court every year on this particular motion. And about 2% are ever granted. So very, very slim chance. Frankly, I'm not exactly sure why the defense thinks this is so imperative other than the indictment would be dismissed. If the indictment was defective, the remedy under Idaho law, as I understand it, would simply be to grant a preliminary hearing. So I can't imagine the appellate courts would be too interested in hearing this and uh, simply just let the matter play out through the process. But you have to understand, 
This is still a death penalty case. And the tactic in any death penalty case is to delay, delay, delay. So anyway, that hearing is going to be scheduled for January 26th of this new year. And then beginning at 1 p.m., the court will uh, hear argument uh, pertaining to the sealed court order uh, denying to dismiss on grand jury inadmissibility. The um, hearing will also be sealed and closed to the public to protect the privacy of the grand jurors and the grand jury procedure. Well, shortly after that, the court will then have a public hearing to decide whether um, they're going to set a trial date. The court will also hear an argument pertaining to the order denying the motion to dismiss the indictment for inaccurate instructions to the grand jury. This hearing will be open to the public, and the public and the media may attend the uh, process, or you can watch it here because the court's going to put it on their YouTube channel. After that, then they're going to try to decide on when they should set a trial date. Now would be good. Now would be good. Let's get this over with. Let's get it done. The defense in the case needs closure. The victims, the government, the city, the state, the country needs closure. Have a trial. You cannot delay this inevitably. Because every now and then, eventually, a good trial attorney is going to tell you, you got to go try the case. Quit looking for the document. Quit looking for the smoking gun. Quit looking for that one case that's going to just make the case go away because it's not there. Go try the case. All right. People love the news about Gypsy Rose. Well, maybe you're not going to love this one, but we're going to bring it to you anyway because, hey, you asked for it. We give you what you want. You've heard people say that you marry your parents well, this may be getting a little weird. So there are some people that are attracted to partners who appear familiar to them. And social media users are now insisting that this is the case for Gypsy Rose Blanchard after people were spotting some uncanny similarities between her now husband and her late dead mother that she had her ex-boyfriend have killed her mother that makes sense. I think it does. Yeah. She had her ex-boyfriend kill her mother. And now the new husband, some people are saying, looks like her mom. <laughs> anyway, so after spending eight years in prison for the partner murder, uh, Gypsy Rose Blanchard is finally free. We brought you that story. We brought you her selfies. We brought you the stories about her going to the store shopping, ringing in the new year, married life, to Ryan Scott Anderson. Well, Blanchard married the uh, now uh, middle school special education teacher back in 2022. Well, obviously she was in prison. Blanchard met her now husband um, after he wrote her an email after watching the 2017 HBO documentary about her case, captioned, Mommy Dead and Dearest. Well, those email exchanges ultimately turned into uh, more contact, including phone calls and eventually an in-person visit with them tying the knot back in 2022. Now, some fans are convinced that the two look very much alike, even sharing some of their theories and photos as they think why. Take a look at these comparisons. Now, this is really common for people to search out lovers that resemble their parents and guardians and features. Take a look at the photos. Hmm? 
Yes, maybe a little bit of similarity between mom and new husband. Let me know in the comments what you think. Next, the Savannah Soto case. So we've been kind of watching this case, just trying to see how things develop. Sometimes you're just not sure until there's a little more information. But Savannah Soto was a pregnant 18-year-old woman and her boyfriend, and they were ultimately found dead Tuesday afternoon in the medical center area of San Antonio after a two-day search. Now, police have confirmed the two bodies were found inside a car in San Antonio, and those are of a missing pregnant teen and her boyfriend, and they've released surveillance video showing people that they believe are persons of interest that the police would like to talk to. So Savannah Nicole Soto and her boyfriend, Matthew Guerra, were reported missing uh, just before Christmas a few miles northwest of San Antonio. Now, Soto was a week overdue to deliver her baby and was scheduled to have a labor induced at the hospital last Saturday night. When Guerra's Kia Optum was spotted about three miles from Soto's apartment Tuesday, the police found what they described as a crime scene. Two bodies were inside the vehicle with gunshot wounds, and they'd been shot in the head. So this case is being investigated, obviously, as a capital murder case, you think? And not only is this a gunshot wound, said the police, this is a contact gunshot wound, which would be indicative of, that's right, an execution perhaps? So anyway, on Thursday, the San Antonio Police Department released video footage where they said that they was taken by a location nearby where the bodies were found. And in the video, there are two persons of interest, one driving a dark colored pickup truck and the other driving the victim's silver Kia Optima. Now, Guero was arrested on Christmas of 2022 last year for assaulting Soto and was sentenced to probation. The judge extended that to probationary sentence through February of 2025 after Guero uh, was later arrested on another charge. The condition of his probation barred him from possessing a weapon and from having harmful or injurious communications with Miss Soto. We'll see where this goes, ladies and gentlemen. I think the plot thickens. Now, this is not the first story that we brought you about the metaverse. But British police have opened an investigation into an alleged virtual assault of the sexual nature after a girl's avatar was attacked by a group of men while playing video games in the metaverse. Now, the metaverse users wear a virtual reality headset so they can be immersed in this gaming entertainment social experience where they connect with other people's uh, throughout the world. The child in this particular case, who was under the age of 16, was reportedly in an online room when several adult males users approached her digital character. And since the incident took place in the metaverse, the girl was not obviously physically attacked by the gang of online thugs. However, police reportedly compared the girl's psychological and emotional trauma to that of an actual rape victim. Authorities are saying that this child experienced psychological trauma similar to that of someone who has been physically raped. There is a long-term emotional and psychological impact on the victim as well as no, as though there were actual injuries. Now, there have been apparently um, reports of a number of virtual sexual assaults in this Horizon Worlds, which is a free game created by Meta Platforms where users can create their own avatars. Now, the police say that the uh, sexual offense have become uh, rife in the uh, metaverse. 
And then when police resources, uh, limited authority, and uh, reportedly struggling to keep up with the backlog of actual sexual assault cases, it's tough to get out to the metaverse. Well, the announcement of the investigation has raised some questions about whether law enforcement should be investigating virtual crimes. So that raises a lot of questions, ladies and gentlemen. Do you send uh, virtual police officers into the virtual reality world to investigate the not-so-virtual allegations of assault? I don't know. Um, I'm not going to say I know what it is. I've seen people where they have their little headsets on and they think that they're doing whatever they're doing. So I can only imagine what are these people doing while they're allegedly assaulting somebody else in the metaverse. I don't get it. Um, I'm not a big, you know, avatar, virtual reality. I'm more of a reality kind of guy. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't think it's a crime. I don't think you're going to have law enforcement <laughs> setting up virtual reality police for virtual reality allegations of virtual reality crime. It didn't happen. It's not real. So I'm not sure what they should investigate. I understand it can be traumatizing, but I don't know what you're going to do with that. I, let me know. Let me know in the comments. Next on the docket, the Delphi judge gets some new duties. The uh, Superior Court's Board of Judges has elected a new chief judge who will help guide the court's leadership team for the next two years. And who is that judge? Judge Frances C. Gull. She will serve a two-year term as the court's chief judge, effective January 1. That's going to be there in Allen County. Now the chief judge has certain leadership and administrative responsibilities, including overseeing the board of judges' meetings, signing the court's annual budget, and representing the Allen County uh, Judicial Conference of the Indiana Board of Directors. So that just means Judge Gull has more administrative responsibilities when she's not kicking defense attorneys off a case because she doesn't like what they have filed. We'll wait to see. We have those hearings coming up with the Indiana Supreme Court here rather soon to see whether Judge Gull will stay on the case or will there be new attorneys for the Delphi case and Richard Allen. Next, why is it always the husband for the missing wife? Well, a 26-year-old Pennsylvania woman was found dead on New Year's Day a week after she went missing, and her um, 55-year-old husband was arrested in Las Vegas. Well, so he's now in custody on uh, homicide charges. Those were announced uh, dated January 2nd. Now, Franielis Nicole Zambrano, um, a woman originally from Venezuela, was found deceased at her home, and she'd been reported missing after failing to come to work for three days, and her co-workers contacted the police, and an investigation was launched on December 29th. She was found deceased with a gunshot wound in her home on January 1st of 2024, and like I said, her husband, Arthur Art Eugene Guddy, was the prime suspect, as he hadn't been seen or heard from since Christmas. Apparently, one of the neighbors said that uh, he made a statement, something to the effect of maybe about a month ago, that he thought that uh, his wife uh, was messing around. And this is exactly what he said. He was sitting right there. He said, if I find out she's messing around, I'll kill her. Allegedly, he did. And he's been charged with criminal homicide and aggravated assault. Now, this is not the first time the wife of uh, Mr. Gutty has led to a police investigation. 
Back in 2019, his previous wife, Roxanne Gutty, was accused of attempting to hire a hitman to kill him. Okay, the point is, why is it always the husband, right? The wife dead, husband not there, goes to Vegas. I mean, is because th- does he know the gig is up? Is that it? And he's just figured like, man, I'm going to go have a weekend. I'm just going to do nothing but hookers and blow and gamble and wait till the police come get me. Well, apparently that's what Mr. Gutty thought, allegedly, will give him the presumption of innocence. But isn't it curious how the co-workers had to report her missing and he didn't? Hmm. I wonder what that could possibly mean. I don't know. Let me know. Guilty or innocent? Well, obviously he's innocent until proven guilty, but, you know, give me your thoughts, your predictions. And finally, today, our dumb criminal of the day. Take a look at this woman just trying to put in a hard day's work. Police say that this woman showed up at a Waffle House pretending to be an employee, worked for a couple hours before opening the uh, cash register, and then walking out with some cash. One little problem. Uh, that pesky surveillance video. So now the police are asking if anyone knows this person and help identify them. Like I said, police say the woman showed up about 7 p.m. wearing a Waffle House hat, apparently act like she uh, owned the place. And uh, began working. Now, it's not clear uh, what she did as an employee or why nobody questioned who the hell she was and why was she there. But eventually, the uh, video captured her at the uh, cash register, opening the register, and then walking out with the cash. Maybe the people that were supposed to be in charge that night should probably be fired as well for letting a complete stranger walk in, act like they own the place, maybe make a few hash browns with the onions they're the best i'm I'm, I'm not gonna lie and then walking out with all the cash i don't know ladies and gentlemen you can't make this stuff up all right thanks for watching we hope you enjoyed the show we'll see you next time on crime talk <laughs>